everybody, and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, author of five books on cycling, writer about all things fitness-related, lover of most things fitness-related, and currently very soggy from a swim. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm Molly's co-host here with the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm a kinesiologist, which means I like to help people move or move better or move differently depending on what their goals are. Um, and I'm also a cycling coach, so obviously that kinesiology angle rolls into my cycling coaching. Um, yeah, and then I race bikes periodically. We were actually just at the Paris to Ancaster this past weekend, which is a big gravel grinder. They call it the original gravel grinder. It's been going on for a bunch of years, and it's, I think, over a thousand people for sure. There's a lot of people of all all cycling experiences there. Um, I think your favorite was seeing the uh, the mom and daughter starting. Yeah, one of my past clients actually, um, and her daughter and her daughters, I believe, did it. And there was a cute picture of them both sort of over their handlebars at the finish, and it was really cute. Not like over their handlebars, like falling over them, over them, like leaning mm. over them, like perched for the photo. But it was yeah. just, it was very cute because they were sort of identically perched and both had yes. their pink. I don't know if they were POC helmets or whatever helmets. Neither. But... One was white and one was purple. Right. Apologies to. Uh... <laughs> To Pock. Yeah, yes. apologies no, to Pock. No, We've no. messed up the yeah. helmet. Anyway, um, we're, we're coming to this episode actually from the front seat of our van. The back is a little bit full of bikes. It's a rainy day, so... Oh, and bikes and swim gear and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, very consummate athlete. Uh, but if you hear any rain, it's because we're, we're currently in a very rainy time in Canada. So a little bit of uh, raindrops falling on the van. Hopefully that just adds to the ambiance of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so Peter, how how is swimming going for you? Let's do a little bit of Ironman training catch-up. Oh, good, I think. I did a bit of some 100-meter repeats today to try and get a bit of speed. I'm definitely a... Ah, that's what you were doing. Did some low... I'm a, a low gear. I like the very low cadence, which I think comes or has come from the total immersion sort of method is pretty, at least in my interpretation, is pretty low and slow and just sort of more up for efficiency and maybe less for speed. So trying to add a little bit of cadence work in there. Um, Now why is it when I'm low cadence it's a problem? When you're low cadence it's efficient? uh, We're talking about, that's different, that's bike versus swim, but there's many swim coaches who are probably grimps or grimacing uh with the thought of the the lower cadence swimming so like i say i'm trying to bump my cadence up mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah we're normally uh it's a, a bit of an older crowd at the pool we go to so normally there aren't that many uh super speedy people in so today we were sharing the lane with a a dude who was pretty freaking fast so that was definitely interesting normally uh normally i'm the one going you know ridiculously fast or ridiculously fast compared i guess to anyone else in the pool but this guy put me to shame he was doing all the sweet like flip turns where you come out on your back like you go in yeah he was really over. fast like, yeah he was he was good it's a little a little intimidating i'm not gonna lie mm-hmm. no and so anyhow the paris tancaster went well that's and... right i raced my bike for the first time in two years wow i know right yeah, I mean, I really, I don't think I have since actually probably last time I did Paris to Ancaster. I mean, you did the Xterra. Yeah, but I mean starting a bike race. Right. Like, 
I consider the Xterra and any triathlon significantly different because when you come out of the water on your own time, right. you're not in a mass bike start, so you're not doing that same, like, from zero to, like, a million heart rate-wise. Or at least when you do it in the water, it's a really different feeling. Yeah. Um, just, and in the water, it's, I mean, literally sink or swim. In the bike race, it's very easy to get quickly, like, oh, I'm not going to make it up this start hill. Everything burns. Um, right. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was a really good time back. Yeah, it's been rainy here in Ontario and sort of cold, which I guess is sort of spring in Ontario. Mm -hmm. But did you learn anything out of this bicycle race? Uh, not to break a spoke 15 minutes in would right. be the number one lesson. Uh, number two would be, it was just a really good reminder of, I mean, this won't really apply for Ironman, but like the value of a, a warm-up. Like, I had putzed around on the bike for a minute to make sure everything was working, but then I had to, like, run to the porta potty and then I was changing my clothes, and then all of a sudden, changing, adding layers, deleting layers. I wasn't, like, just putting on a chamois for the first time, like, ten minutes before the start. Um, but definitely, I didn't have any, like, sprint work right before, so when all of a sudden it went from zero to a hundred effort-wise... Uh, that was definitely a bit of like a holy crap kind of moment. Right. That said, it's so men and women start together in the elite wave there. So it's very different from the start of any women's cross race or really any other race that I've been in because you're starting with a bunch of really fast dudes and the fast women know that they want to stay on the fast dudes wheel for the optimal, you know, positioning and stuff. So it's. It's brutal, but I mean, it wasn't just me feeling that. I was happy to see a lot of the, the girls from the camp that we coached in February were sort of right around me, and I mean, I'm not going to lie, they were suffering too, so I was like, oh, thank God, it's not just me. Yeah, I think it's a hard one. It's definitely the mixed genders and abilities is very tough. You know, I've heard a lot of complaints there, or not complaints, but we'll call it whinging, I mean, I'm just going to throw it out there, and Jeremy wasn't there this year, so. but Jeremy's probably the biggest name that people listening to the show would recognize, maybe, but Jeremy Powers has done it in years past, and I mean, his starting power is significantly higher than, you know, even Katie Compton's starting power. So, Seems like an odd statement. I'm, I'm just thinking in terms of cyclocross, but just like off the line, he can just put out more watts than even the fastest woman, so... Isn't that what you would expect? Yes. Oh. What I'm saying is, that's why that start sucks for women. Oh, I see. You try chasing that up the road. Right. Yeah, and I mean, Mike Garrigan was there as well. Mike is... Garrigan can put out about 8,000 watts for like two seconds. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was good. So, I think, as far as takeaways that I've seen and conversations I've had, I think some people were a little tentative on the start and were thinking about like, being you know cautious and and stuff like this and that's with us a bicycle start really any start you sort of want to try and hold your position a little even if it's just for a short duration uh simply because you have people behind you who are going to try and overtake you so definitely there's you know if you can seed yourself in a start then that'll help keep you safer but you want to be careful really in, in any sporting event getting too cautious because you end up getting really tense and you know maybe making odd movements so definitely mm -hmm. in a bicycle start that's sort of something that a lot of people maybe learn in that or yeah get reminded of and p to a people get pissed with you when you let gaps open to like the group ahead of you 
Yeah. Especially for the first, like, maybe 10K, I'd say. People get so angry at you. And, I mean, fair enough, right? Like, if you get gapped off, you're gapping off literally 200 people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know if there's any other major takeaways for the listeners from Paris Tancaster. Yeah. It was, it was a good race. If you can come up and do it, it's, it's a good one. Yeah. Ontario every April, it's really one of the best run events I think I know of. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy it. Yeah, for I mean, for being an open road like with a bunch of road crossings and thousands mm-hmm. of people and point to point, it's it's pretty. You know, there's a lot goes into it. So yeah, there's a lot of events don't last very long as that point to point structure. So the fact they've kept that alive is is, is kudos to them. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm trying to think of when the last time we did the Q and A episode was, and I believe we were still actually in California. So. I feel like we just did like a weird like kind of time warpy like and now we're back in Ontario. Yeah. Although we've been talking about it in the intro where we're at, but yeah, for those of you who only listen to the Q and A's, don't think anyone's going to be shocked. We're we're here again. Yeah, so. we're back in Ontario. It's May and it's raining, possibly there. snowing. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing for the weekend. There you go. Anyhow, we have a couple good questions, so we thought we'd work through those. Yeah. What's our first one? Uh, well, the first one is, I'm going to butcher this name, Giordi? Gordy? I mean, let's just, G says. G says. Uh, we've talked about doms in regards to running, but he wants to hear more in regards to cycling. He says, I'm a master cyclist, and I seem to get horrible case of doms a few times a year. I never cramp or bonk during events, but after races, not training, I sometimes get doms a few days after a very hard race. Glutes, hamstring, quads, ITB, hip flexors all get inflamed, and then my lower back starts to seize, and I can't walk or bend over. Any thoughts on preventing this? Is this a post-race hydration issue? Massage, cool down, recovery rides, supplements, electrolytes. Uh, He sees it more in cyclocross rather than road, but it seems like it happens when he's burned a number of really big matches rather than just a long, more endurance ride. It doesn't happen after a five to seven hour ride, just after super intense rides. Yeah, and I didn't see the... I'd been talking to him a little bit, and I didn't see the part about the cyclocross, actually. And that, that, well, there that, you have it. That makes a little bit more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, to be just confirm, it's it's delayed onset muscle soreness, which means he's not having this, like, after the race or even the day after the race. It's two days after these hard races, or, mm-hmm. and, and only in races, not in hard efforts. So... I think what happens a lot, and I mean, there's, we can all be, you know, they come back to, we all want to be snowflakes for sure. And, you know, it's very possible that there's a condition there. So I would go and always get your blood test. If something does seem irregular, you know, yourself, you know, your training and that sort of stuff. I'm not a doctor. I like to pretend I am sort of, but not at all. He never like wears a white coat and like Uh, carries a stethoscope or anything. We just watch a lot of house. Yeah, that's getting really personal, but... (laughs) I mean, I said you didn't wear a white coat. I feel like it'd be way more personal if I said you walked around with a stethoscope. Yeah, some sort of fantasy or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Anyhow, so delayed onset muscle soreness uh, with cycling. Really what we... I, I like to boil it down again to the movement. And really what that usually means is that it's we're doing something that's different. So people will cramp in races but not in training. And usually... To me, it's not necessarily, you know, we want it to be a supplement, a magnesium, a salt with with cramping. Um, But often we've just pushed ourselves to the point where we've hit a limit. So if we just got tired and faded and, you know, got dropped in a group, we'd be like, okay, we're just not fit enough. 
if we get back pain or if we get cramping, we're usually a little more, I guess, alarmist about it. Um, but if we look at this stuff, especially things like back pain more as like, we just hit a limit. Like we've asked too much of that system and with cyclocross, that makes a cool. lot yeah. of sense. The but, remounting, dismounting, like I have low back pain from three remounts and dismounts at P to A. Yeah. And that's certainly, you get into range of motion and how are you getting your, you know, your body back up onto the saddle? That certainly could be part of it. So looking at, you know, how much range of motion do you have in your hip and can you get onto that saddle without your back having to do a lot of the, the work and the compensation. Um, but by the same token, and I was talking to Molly about this the other day, a lot of people went, you know, that you can't get your, your thigh, if you laid on your back on the ground, you can't get your thigh to your chest, um, which would be like your pedal stroke when you're, you know, in the drops in a crit race or, you know, really going up a steep hill seated on your bike, you know, that thigh is going to be really close to your chest while the other leg is extended. So you're asking a fair bit, you know, you're almost like you're in the splits, you're not in the splits, but none of us are gymnasts. So we're working towards our crappy version of the splits, but we don't have that range of motion. So what happens is our low back or whatever has to compensate. So what I would suggest is make sure that you are riding your cyclocross bike hard a couple times a week, not every day, but once or twice a week, make sure you're in that sort of goal discipline. That could be mountain biking, crit racing, whatever in the same position on the same bike and trying to simulate those you know matches that you're burning so you know it sounds like you have good race files so you can look back at the power or even the heart rate and see you know how many times are you above threshold um, what do those look like are they 30 second are they one minute power sort of efforts and maybe you have a 10 by 30 second 10 by one minute workout over your threshold you know, start from there. And I, I think what you should see then is that, that that muscle soreness from your body getting, you know, ripped apart, just like in the gym, um, should be decreased. Uh, and I would be surprised if it didn't. So that's my experience is that often that delayed onset muscle soreness is just, we've gone in and it could be a CrossFit workout. It could be a run. It could be downhill running. It could be it could be cyclocross. It could be something with mountain biking, like downhill mountain biking is classic to be sore the next day because you're in a squat the whole time. So I suspect that's what it is. And that's what I hope it is. Again, I hope you're not a snowflake and that it's something, you know, crazier. Um, but, yeah. but I would just do a good inspection of your training to make sure it's not all long, slow distance or all tempo and missing those, those matches. Yeah. And I mean, what Peter said about the riding your cross bike, it does sound like you do a lot of like road and cyclocross. So I know it's, you know, you tend to ride your road bike on the trainer or, you know, on the road during the week because it's just, you know, easier than riding the cross bike. Um, but there's such a huge value to getting on the cross bike. The other thing I'd look at is bike setup. Um, bike fits cyclocross to road bikes aren't going to be the same. So there's a very good chance that your cyclocross bike, if you have it set up exactly like your road bike. Yeah, you might have too much drop. A lot of times, you know, we all want to have that stem slammed. but yeah. Some more upright, like almost, we often fit, and coming from a mountain bike background, fit the cross bikes more close, or closer to our mountain bike, at least in terms of the drop. Yeah. Um, and I think the other note you made here is a really good one um, about avoiding taking anti-inflammatories post-race. Well, that's what I was wondering. And again, I don't know G super well or at all, um, <laughs> but we were back and forth a little bit just because I had some follow-ups just to make sure I understood um, and yeah, sometimes, you know, especially in the master's categories, we get into the habit of taking, uh, an anti-inflammatory or, uh, you know, Tylenol, whatever, 
um, after the race. You know, we know we're going to be sore. We got to go to work on Monday. I understand. I'm not judging, but sometimes that would mask the soreness until maybe the next day. And, you know, if you've ever done a run as a cyclist or as anyone, probably, you know, you're sore a couple days later, um, you know, the soreness can last for a day or days or weeks, even depending on how unconditioned to the activity you are. So that was my only other thing is maybe it's not even DOMS or, or any super irregular. It might be that we're masking it. So, yeah. I mean, again, don't, we always want to make sure that we're not, with that anti-inflammatory we're just being careful that we're not masking things and and becoming reliant on it yeah that actually also reminded me i mean if it's a cross course that has a lot of running and you don't do any run training i guess that's true that too. can kick the crap out yeah, of you either descending on the bike or certainly running on or, or just dismounting a lot you know and again sort of putting your fred flintstone brakes on as you're breaking into you know jumping off the bike mm-hmm. um yeah, there's lots of things there. If it is cyclocross, again, I didn't absorb the first time I went through this that it was cyclocross and not just on a hard road race. So, yeah, Oof. lots of stuff there. I'm trying to think. And then the only other thing I said was just make sure. Sometimes that, like, ongoing soreness in the muscles um, can be just calories being too low. Yeah. Um, so make sure you're fueling and getting your protein and, and, and eating a, a balanced diet um, just so your body can repair. You know, even if we are experiencing DOMS, Make sure you're eating, you know, nice vegetables, ginger, turmeric, you know, some fish, making sure that, you know, again, you're doing everything, giving those nutrients for repair and whether that helps the DOMS or not. It's not a bad thing. And then my only other note is he asked about dehydration and uh, if it's cyclocross, I'm, uh, I'm not saying that this is a thing that G in particular does, but this is definitely a thing that I observe in a lot of masters cross racers would be the uh, going for the post-race beer or beers Mm -hmm. and not hitting a lot of water. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that can very easily lead you down like a pretty bad road to like dehydration and just not getting in the post-race protein, nutrients, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and cyclocross definitely has the atmosphere, but any short race, I guess, is going to be a crit race or a mountain bike race. You could run into that for sure. But cross is like... Here's the finish line. Here's the beer tent. Like, go yeah. to town. Also, for those of you listening, uh, if you do hit the beer tent after your race, A, chug some water beforehand, and B, please take off your chamois before you stand in the beer tent. Just PSA for those of us who, you know, are at cross races in the beer tent. Um, we would prefer that you put on real pants, and your chamois area will thank you as well. Not that I'm saying that our our question had anything to do with that. It's just something I feel very strongly about. Anyway, um, on to our next question here. Um, So Peter got emailed by a young woman, a 10th grader named Sarah, who was asking some nutrition questions uh, for a project she's working on. And they were so kind of like good and general and like solid for our audience that we figured we would bring them up in here too. So let's talk. Um, she wanted to know first, what would a decent general breakdown of a normal everyday diet be for an athlete in terms of macronutrients? And this is like probably the most loaded question that you could start with. Yeah. And I think to back up, I'm not sure that her questions were tremendous for everyone, Um, I think more I wanted to go through and just talk about the, uh, use that as a jump off for sort of what a a cycling diet 
looked like. So I think I mm -hmm. had intended of that being in there more for you to actually handle. Oh, yeah? Um, just in terms of what you found in your book, Fuel Your Ride. Ah, yes, my book, Fuel Your Ride. Fuel Your Ride, Fuel Your Ride. Um, anyway, what a... So this is a super loaded question, as I said, just because there's so many people that have such extreme viewpoints on this. You hear so many people. I mean, we were in... A coffee shop yesterday listening to the woman behind us just wax poetic about a ketogenic diet which means high fat low to no carb bearing in mind that she had not been on said ketogenic diet she was just literally talking about what she saw on pinterest she mentioned pinterest so i'm not even exaggerating that point uh, so just to say there's a ton of like really extremist views about fat and carbs in particular out there right now um, so pretty much anytime you say any kind of ratio is the golden ratio, uh, someone is going to say that you're completely wrong. And to be honest, you are completely wrong. Uh, so the big thing in Fuel Your Ride that, you know, kind of came up time and time again is that nutrigenomics, this kind of rapidly growing field where you look at genes and how their expressions change thanks to nutrition and how each of our genes are slightly different and you know, certain ones may mean that we do better on a high-fat, low-carb or a high-carb, low-fat diet. Um, that just kept coming up because the answer is always it depends when it comes to what is the perfect diet. Uh, there isn't any kind of one-size-fits-all ratio for, you know, what that perfect macronutrient breakdown is going to be. Uh, for athletes in particular and people in general, I think the best thing to do is start with your, you know, clean sources of protein. Uh, and in that sense, we want to get about like four servings ish of around 20 grams of protein a day. The key there being to actually split up the protein throughout the day. The typical North American diet, I've had to get out of saying the standard American since we're in Canada so much. Mm -hmm. uh, the typical American or North American diet tends to go where we have cereal for breakfast, like a salad for lunch, and then we have a heavy meat dinner. So you could pretty much go your whole day without getting more than like say 10 grams of protein and then all of a sudden get like 90 grams at dinner with your steak. Uh, and that's not gonna really do you any good at that point. Like you're not gonna be able to break down that much of it that efficiently. So you wanna have, you know, smaller portions of it, but throughout the day rather than all at once. So I think if there's any one macronutrient takeaway, it's getting that protein in several times a day. Um, and then as far as fats go, you never want to do a diet that, fats and carbs actually, you never want to do a diet that says neither, uh, like don't have one or the other. Uh, a healthy diet is going to include both of them to some extent. It just depends on who you are for how the breakdown is going to go. Um, when you go with fats, you want to tend towards getting them in their wholest, most nutrient-dense states. This is why avocados are wildly popular. It helps that they're also delicious beyond belief. Um, but I'm also, <laughs> I've said it, I think, on the show a bunch of times now. I'm a huge fan of olives. Um, 100 grams of olives is about 150 calories. 100 grams of olive oil is about 900 calories. And obviously, no one's, you know slurping 100 grams of olive oil but you know just to give you a sense when you have an olive you get a ton of vitamins and fiber as well as fat when you have olive oil you're pretty much getting straight fat so it's always better to stick to the more natural form just to get better nutrient density out of your stuff 
as far as carbs go. Um, carb timing, I think, is like the big thing you want to talk about when we talk about carbohydrates. Uh, you want to hit the processed ones if you're going to have any processed ones in and around your rides. So if you're, you know, a cookie fanatic, your ride might be the time or your run might be the time that you indulge in the cookie or immediately before or immediately after. Um, you know, six, six hours after is not really the ideal time. That's, that glycogen is not going to really do you much good. Um, the rest of the time, you really want to opt for the unprocessed carbs. And the reason you can't go on a diet free of carbs is because carbs are found in vegetables. And there are very, very few people that are going to tell you not to eat vegetables. So anyone that says they eat a no-carb diet is sort of, well, in my opinion at least, kind of nuts. Um, or they're lying. I've heard a ton of people actually... A magazine just covered uh, some A-list actress that talked about her no-carb diet and described her typical breakfast as like eggs with spinach and broccoli and some bacon and an avocado. And I was like, okay, well, you know, it's low-carb, sure, but there's still carbs in there. And she went on and continued to describe her day like, oh, yeah, I have a salad for lunch, like, you know, dark lettuce, like some carrots just all of this stuff. And I was like, I don't think anyone's ever explained to her that vegetables are carbs. Yeah, sometimes it plays in just on the fiber content and stuff, and it's pretty negligible a lot of the times. But yeah, I think that's all good. I think that's a good summary that you've provided uh, for people. Again, I don't know that... There's certain exceptions for sure where things we can be on towards the extremes, but I think it's generally good. Most of us are people who, you know, we just need to get regular meals in. Again, you can debate whether there's a benefit and whether you it's possible to have protein all in one whack. There's research on both sides, but most of us would do well to just get regular meals that have pr some sort of protein source, vegetables, a little bit of carbohydrate, you know, and we eat, sit and eat those meals you know, calmly, and I guess I forgot fat, and then a little bit of fat, so avocado, olive oil, whatever. Um, but just a well put together mixed meal, we'll call it, you know, three, four, five times a day, depending on how active you are. Um, you know, and I wouldn't even talk about meal timing with most people, because we just need to get meals in, um, you know, throughout the day. So, yeah. and that's, again, that's so that we're not starving, so that we're able to think properly, so that it's not all at once at night, and then we can sleep. Um, it helps with digestion, um, it helps with hormonal status, which is going to influence our body composition. Um, oh, so on that note, this is a really funny thing. I was actually just getting coffee this morning with Leslie Timms, who if you go way back in our archives, she was one of the first people on this podcast. She's a really badass climber from Ontario. She's super rad. She and I were talking about um, the, the naturopath community and how difficult their jobs are because... We were saying, like, 99% of the time, the, like, health advice that a naturopath, like, should really be giving most clients is, like, you need to drink more water and eat more vegetables. And that would solve, like, almost every problem. Right. So I think we love overcomplicating what's wrong with our diet or what's right with our diet. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, so I, I don't know, again, Sarah's questions, I went back and forth with her as well, and... Um, sort of nailed down a bit more what she was asking and and I think 
again, there is no one diet for any one athlete or type of athlete. Certainly you'll have certain sports trending to, you know, higher carbohydrate or lower carbohydrate. If you're, you know, a 48 hour runner, there's certain advantages to being um, more adaptable in your fuel usage. Um, you know, and if you're a short distance athlete, then obviously carbohydrates are going to be more important. Um, younger people, you know, are generally going to be more tolerant of carbohydrates. Leaner people are going to be more tolerant of carbohydrates. Um, so that, that's sort of where it factors in and where I'm always talking about the nutrigenomics. Um, but yeah, I, I would start with just trying to get everything relatively good quality and see where you end up with that. Um, her only, uh, the other question she asked was, what was the third one, I think? The how much of a difference in performance a good right. diet can make. And that you can probably speak to. Well, and that's what I said to her. I'm like, I don't know that you're going to find a study necessarily. There's been a few, um, especially with kids and like academic performance where, where the nutrients and, and the quality of the diet uh, did improve performance. Um, oh, that's just so wildly open-ended and hard to the quantify. Way, the way I would couch it is, you know, they, they always use the analogy of like quality fuel in or like garbage in, garbage out type of thing. Um, but I think if you're, you know, if we all agree that, you know, if you just ate candy bars, eventually you're going to start having body composition issues. You know, you're not going to be as lean as you could be. You're not going to put on muscle necessarily as well as you could be. Certainly there's going to be exceptions of those young, you know, a young male, obviously, Darn them. you know, is going to have a period in their life where they can probably eat whatever, as long as they're eating enough and, and things will go okay. Um, but I think again, as we get older and, you know, most of our listeners are in that masters, you know, working full time sort of category, that body composition, we had talked about this with our time crunched, uh, when Jim was on, mm-hmm. uh, one of our podcasts from maybe two months ago. Um, we talked about how you can only train so much and you can only do so many super special intervals, um, to try and be your, you know, get your perfect time crunched fitness. Um, at a certain point that body composition and that energy and that sleep quality become really important. And those nutrients are, are part of that. How fast you recover, how well, you know, how often you can do those suffer fests are very much determined. You know, we talked about this delayed onset muscle soreness in our first question, how much of that could be, you know, uh, inadequate balance of, you know, fats, you know, the, your omegas mm-hmm. or, or any of those, again, magnesium, calcium, any of that stuff that's related to recovery or cramping or whatever. Absolutely. So I think that takes care of Sarah's nutrition question. Nutrition's always a one that you're going to have people screaming about, but yep. let, let's just assume we're in the middle there and get frequent good meals in. Perfect. All right. We're going to pause for a very quick uh, commercial break here. We'll be right back. You can do that big race this year, whether it's a gravel grinder, Grand Fondo, mountain bike marathon, or a stage race. Don't put it off or show up unprepared. Let Smart Athlete, that's Peter Glassford, help you train optimally for your goals. You are not the same as your friends or a random pro. Get a plan that fits into your life and takes your fitness and your experience into account. As a kinesiologist, professional cycling coach, and experienced rider, I have a unique balance of theoretical and practical experience that can help you reach your goals. Whether you need a simple training plan to follow or daily contact to dial in your training and adapt to your changing lifestyle and needs, or maybe you just need a skill session to get ready to hop logs and shred some trails at an upcoming mountain bike race, I can help. Visit smartathlete.ca to find out more and get started. 
Health IQ is a life insurance company that promotes a health-conscious lifestyle through financial rewards. They've used science and data to get lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people just like you, including those who exercise four times a week through cycling, weightlifting, swimming, running, whatever consummate athlete lifestyle you're, you're undertaking. Research has shown that people who are highly active through exercise have a 22% lower cancer risk, 50% lower heart risk, and 34% lower risk of early death. Many people who exercise regularly don't realize that they can get a special rate with Health IQ if they qualify through the Health IQ quiz. Health IQ has special rates for cyclists, runners, triathletes, vegans, and other health-conscious people, so you can qualify by scoring elite on quizzes for specific lifestyles. Essentially replacing BMI with waist-to-hip ratio for better predictors of cardiovascular disease when it comes to weightlifters and muscular builds. That's great for me. They also have replaced the LDL-HDL ratio with triglyceride to HDL ratio for low-carb and paleo dieters, which is a better predictor of cholesterol health, and they don't take into account one incidence of family history if you're otherwise healthy. So... Go over to healthiq.com slash capod. All lowercase. And take that quiz. Um, They have a bunch of different quizzes on the website, and the website's pretty well designed, so it's worth heading over there, checking it out, and again, using that link, healthiq.com slash capod. Okay, we're back, and the last question is Peter's personal favorite. I will point out that both of our mothers gave him a cookbook on this very topic, the same cookbook, I might add, for Christmas. So two women from two different countries got you the exact same cookbook. Uh, The question is, how do I cook a sweet potato? Yeah, so I'm working with a lot of clients now. Um, You know, the master's athletes I work with, again, we were just talking about this, the nutrition piece is a big part of that. So... I've been putting a lot more time in coaching more from the nutrition side of things. Um, and so people are always asking, you know, how can we clean this up? You know, what are some convenient options? You know, what do you eat a lot of? <laughs> um, so the answer to most of those questions, and especially the last one, is sweet potatoes um, is a big way that I fuel, you know, my stuff. Before Paris Dancaster, we had race breakfast. I had a sweet potato with some nut butter on it. Um, so I... I will throw out that I had an excellent quinoa breakfast bowl, and you can find the recipe for that over at theoutdooredit.com. But that is not the question. Quinoa is probably one of the most enraging things that I Oh, I know. I'm getting better with it, but for some reason it just irritates me. I know. It's a hashtag superfood, but honestly, for race day mornings, if you're one of the people like me that likes oatmeal but just cannot get through it on a race morning... I felt like quinoa was so much easier. It's got like a cereal texture, but like. Okay, well, we're talking anyway, about sweet potatoes. I'm very sorry. I've ruined. Now I've you ruined interrupted this. discussions of sweet potato with quinoa. Now he's even more infuriated about quinoa. So, anyhow, the, the big takeaway here is you know, I had a client ask, okay, well, how do I cook this? I picked up some sweet potatoes. You said that that's what you ate, which I prefaced it by saying. That's, you don't have to have sweet potatoes, and you certainly don't need to do them like I do. He doesn't require it so much as highly recommend. But he wanted to know, so how do I feel? So that's usually my, I usually have several sweet potatoes a day. People say that's weird. I say, how many pieces of bread do you have in a day? And then the discussion's pretty much over. So very nutrient-dense, lots of cool you know, nutrients in there, um, higher in carbohydrate, uh, lots of fiber, um, you can look up the benefits of sweet potato. There's, I'm sure there's a blog post somewhere on it. 
You uh, all that one? to say, the important aha moment is that you can microwave potatoes and sweet potatoes and pretty much anything you can microwave. But people don't realize that a sweet potato actually it takes about four to eight minutes and you just can have a sweet potato just like that. Um, so try it. You would be surprised to see that there's a potato button on probably 90% of microwaves and you can press it once or twice, depending on the size of your sweet potato, and you're going to have a sweet potato in four to eight minutes. Um, again, you can top that however you like. That could be mustard, hot sauce, nut butter, butter. Um, what else can people put on? Salsa mm -hmm. is very nice. You could put like eggs on top of it for a breakfast. That's your favorite. Yeah, eggs with like some spinach in them on top of a sweet potato, you know, and that's done in sub five minutes probably depending on the size of the sweet potato but but peter what if i hate microwave sweet potatoes yeah so some people don't like the texture they're pretty picky about it or don't just generally like sweet potato um the next easiest or quickest option is to cut it up and then fry it you can fry it in oil or you could probably do it in water and sort of steam it in a pan on low uh, if you combine the two it's like the fastest way to do it a little bit of water with a little bit of oil right and cover it and steam it. Um, so that produces a little nicer texture. Again, that could be done with some eggs or maybe, you know, your traditional, what is it at diners? Like hash, not hash brown, like a... Like home fries. Yeah, you can make like a home fry thing and certainly you could spice that with like a, a vegetable or some sort of, I don't know, spices that they sure. use at a... They usually use like a herb spice. Like at, salt and pepper, maybe a little bit of oregano. Yeah, but this like is that. kind of our morning go-to. It's like this just goes in a pan with our eggs and yep. spinach and sometimes bacon. And then the other thing I encourage people to do is, you know, put them like roasted veg is super easy. Some onions, uh, some carrots, beets. some sweet potatoes, beets are a superfood. And just throw them in some foil or in a roasting pan. Throw them in the oven for 40 minutes at like 375 and you'll pretty much have a big bowl of awesomeness. Carrots are also good for this, and you know you have a bag of carrots sitting in your fridge that you bought and have yet to eat. Yep, and then the traditional baked potato obviously works. You poke a hole in it, wrap it in some foil, put it in your oven, again, probably 375 for 40 minutes, and you'll have a baked sweet potato. You could probably do a bunch. Um, I'm trying to think, what other options did I get? Oh, a barbecue. So the one thing I really like to do, if you're really handy with a knife, be careful because you'll cut your finger off. But if you cut them lengthwise, they turn into almost like a piece of bread because they're very long um, and relatively wide. Then you can put those on the barbecue um, and they don't fall through the grates nearly as easy. You'll maybe have like five or six, depending on how good you are with a knife. Um, of these big slabs you throw those on the barbecue and they're for some reason just more delicious than if you cut them widthwise i guess um but anyhow you can barbecue a sweet potato in much the same fashion you get a little bit of grill marks on there um and then again ketchup mustard whatever you want to put on there yeah i think we kind of skipped over we sort of touched on it roasted but my personal preference for our dinner variety of sweet potato is cutting them into almost like thinner fry shape type things and sticking them just coating them with like a little bit of olive oil or coconut oil and then tossing them in the oven at 350 for closer to an hour um it's a little I mean, longer depends how small you cut them a lot of times it's like 40 but yeah but to get them with like where they're not soggy at all and they've got like a bit more of like a crunch to them yeah, sometimes we'll finish them on broil, too. Yeah, so doing them just a little bit longer than you'd maybe do, because with the roasted ones, you want them really soft. With these ones, you sort of want to cook them a little slower at a lower heat. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, as you said, to get a little bit more crunch, hit them with a like 
two or three minutes of broil. Do not overdo the broil. They will turn to charcoal. Yeah, so I think the takeaway here is that, you know, when we're thinking about options with nutrition, um, just to sort of wrap this a bit, we don't necessarily want to go, okay, low-carb, ketogenic. We want to think about substitution. So whenever we have a habit we're changing, you know, we want to ride our bike more or whatever, you know, in this case, we're trying to clean up our nutrition. So if you're just having a piece of white bread, could you sub that with try peanut butter and nut butter? Maybe you'll love it. Probably 50% of people love it. 50% of people are disgusted by the idea. Um, you know, and if you're already having the peanut butter, like what if you had a, you know, this rich nutrient dense sweet potato with lots of fiber versus a, you know, cruddy piece of bread, um, you know, could be simple, super simple. Mm -hmm. um, again, we could replace some of the grains, which again are a little higher calorie and a little less on the nutrients. Um, replace that with more frequently having sweet potato. Um, you know, you could certainly sub in potatoes or squash or anything like that. Yep. And so we're just trying to get more ideas, tasty ways. It doesn't have to be, you know, something that's disgusting. Find your way that you like it. But ways that we get a little less calories, a little more nutrients, a little more nutrient dense. Yeah, I think I was actually like the proudest. We were just at my parents' house for a couple of days to see them. And I was so proud of my mom because she made pasta one night. But she used half noodles that she just spiralized a zucchini. Yeah, the noodleizer. So, yeah, you love the noodleizer. And, like, I admit, I can't really handle a whole plate of zucchini noodles. Like, that would just be a little much for me. But what she did was just she basically mixed it with the regular pasta. So that way yeah. it was, like, half and half. So it was cutting the calories, but you didn't lose the, like, actual spaghetti taste. And it fills you up really quick, too. I didn't even notice that yeah. there was zucchini in there, but it was mostly zucchini. Yeah, and you can do similar if you don't have a noodleizer. Um, you can get a zucchini and just use, like, a peeler mm -hmm. and basically make, like, little sticks. Yeah. Um, I think it was the julienne cut almost, yes. sort of. But you can do that. I've seen that with the noodles. Um, and then also the classic is spaghetti squash. Um, yeah. Which is a, just basically inside the squash is pre-made noodles for you that you just sort of scrape out with a fork after you cook it. Yeah. So that's another super easy way to cut some calories and have a pretty tasty spaghetti like you always would. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and actually, I had another question about someone asked me, um, how you deal with like family get-togethers, um, or and he was asking me, uh, which is a great question. Given, for... given my paleoness, and I was like, well, I wouldn't really model my ability to interact with people, but um, so th things like that spaghetti squash are, are super simple um, ways to you know if spaghetti is the thing you always have with your family, you know you just bring a spaghetti squash, throw it in the microwave. Yes, poke a hole in it. Don't explode your spaghetti squash in the microwave. Um, and then you just ask, you know, most people keep the sauce and the noodles separate anyhow, but if not, just ask that they, they throw you some sauce before they mix it. Yeah, I think the key with family is like, you know, it's going to take a bit of retraining, I think, to get people used to your diet. But like the, the upside with Peter is like, yes, he eats very clean, but he's also not like a pain in the butt about it. And I say that as someone who had to introduce him to her family a few years ago and explain the eating. But I think the biggest mistake people make is, like, loudly declaring their eating intentions or, like, yeah. making a thing about it. Honestly, just be full before you go. Like, yeah. It's I mean, kind you, of a big... You gotta, you gotta pick your battles and be respectful. And But I think that's the way I get it, slash we get around it a lot of the times, is we just bring, like, a big thing of guac and a big thing of 
you know, roasted veg or whatever fits in the meal. You ask what you can bring. And then you bring something that you like. Um, and then you can usually, you know, sample from what other people have prepared, whether that be the salad or, again, the idea with the spaghetti or, you know, whatever. That's sort of the thing. But, yeah, it's always, you're always going to have a, a bit of a fight with, especially with traditions and stuff. But, but after a few times, people accept it pretty quickly. <laughs> like, it's just not that interesting, right? Like, at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think you worded it, and I don't think that's how you meant it, but you worded it as, like, people will... It'll take some time for people to adapt or, like, to your diet, and I think that's the misconception, is that they're not adapting to your diet. Like, they're just... You well, you have to sort of find your way to navigate the world with the way you want to eat, which it's fine for you to eat however you want, but it's not anyone else's problem. No, and but I think is, that's the thing to remember is like it's not anyone else's problem. No, but that is kind of what I meant because my family is very like nurturing in that respect. Like for a while they fluttered around trying to like pick things that would be okay for you until they finally realized that you don't want them to do that. Um, but it definitely took a little bit for them to adapt to just being like, okay with the fact that you're not having the dessert that everyone's having. Right. So I do think it does take the family a little bit of time to adapt, not necessarily in what they're cooking, but in like how they're approaching food with you. Cause a lot of families like feeding you is nurturing you. Right. So once you, once you get past that initial, like, wait, you you aren't eating my food so i'm not nurturing you so we have a problem i think then i think it's okay yeah and that can be awkward i think sometimes we overreact about what and i could be completely just in my own world with this but i think sometimes like people will say oh you want dessert and they and then you feel compelled that you have to but i don't know i feel like if you say no a few times it's just not that big of a deal like i can't see someone being so upset that you didn't eat their cake that like just grandma's never going to talk to you again I'm not never going to talk to you again, but the, they don't listen so I can say this. The the women in my family are a little on the martyred side, so they would definitely take it personally at first, but they've definitely adapted to the fact that you're not eating dessert and they don't care anymore. First couple times was a bit of like a, is it me? Moment, but right. moral of the story, don't be a pain in the butt about it. Bring some food and you know, expect maybe a little bit of like back and forth at first, but it will die down if you are just chill about it. Yeah. And I guess a reminder that it's okay to have dessert sometimes too. Also that. Yeah. Okay. So on that note, uh, I want to go in and have a cupcake. Is that cool? Yeah. I mean, you're your own person. I am a strong, independent woman. Okay guys, we will see you next week. Have a great ride, run, or whatever the heck you're doing. Thanks so much for listening to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We would love if you would head over to iTunes and leave us a review. And while you're there, consider subscribing. We'd also love to connect over at Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Molly J. Herford and Peter is at Peter Glassford. If you have ideas or questions from today's podcast, or you just want to browse some of the show notes and past shows, you can also check us out at consummateathlete.com. Thanks, guys, and we will see you next time.